We're in the middle of a three-week series, very short series, called Lessons in Giving. And so we're taking this break from studying the Gospel of Mark so that we can take a look at what it means to follow the way of Jesus as it relates to money. And we could use other words, but we're really talking about your money, uh, the thing that, that helps you get so many things in life, and how in the world do we relate to that? And so we're going to have a conversation for these next few minutes about what that looks like, and we're taking another step on that journey in these lessons on giving. And we're going to start that journey as we look at another lesson in giving. We're going to begin that journey by stepping right into the deep end. So I just want you to come with me. We're just going to step right into the deep end and consider something, uh, a principle about relationships that I think we need to get to before we ever go to the Scriptures. Now, I see, real quick, that the screen is black behind me. Are we, are we live with screen? the screen? We are. Good. Okay. I just, I didn't bring anything up here. So, <laughs> I, I have my phone and I will use it if needed, uh, but want to make sure that we're good. So, I don't know if you've had this experience. Uh, if you are married, maybe you're raising a kid. Maybe you have a really close friend. You're single, but you have a really close friend in your life. Or maybe you're widowed and you just have, you know, an older child that you still relate to. Uh, you know, you're still in contact with. But it's those relationships where you get to the point where you say something like this. I don't want to have to tell you everything you're supposed to do. Right? You know, I know raising, raising my children to this point, you know, when they're, when they're young, you have to give them all the structure in the world, and you have to tell them every detail of what you want them to do. But by the time they become teenagers, you want to have them to the point where you don't have to tell them to take out the trash every time they see that it is full. They just know, because we've been together for so long, when the trash is full, you take out the trash. I know early in our marriage, Tess would be upset with me, uh, and rightly so. Listen, this is rightly so. Rightly so, she should be upset with me. And I would say something like, well, if you would just tell me, like, just tell me what I need to do, I'll do it. And then the comment back was, but you don't understand. I don't want to have to tell you everything you're supposed to do. I want you to be able to know, like, I want you to know. Now, that's, that's a general principle of, of how relationships work. And let me just put that, that into, into, a, into a kind of a, a, a I'm going to put that in a sentence, okay? Can we, can we do that? That's okay. We roll with things here. I'm a big fan of the Google suite and PowerPoint, it now appears. All right, let's go to this first one. Here we are. So, less mature relationships, less mature relationships need rules and strict structure to ensure right behavior and connection because love and trust are low, right? This is typically how relationships work. So, the flip side of that principle is also true. So, take out the opposite side of this coin. That is, more mature relationships naturally experience right behavior and connection because love and trust are high. Okay, you see the flip side of, of the previous principle. So I said this to a friend of mine. I said, hey, does this make sense? If I, if I said these two sentences and put them together, does it make sense? And he replied, absolutely. 
Now, you would think it might be in, 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 um, as it relates to maybe a relationship, like a person-to-person relationship. No, no. My friend put it in terms of a dog. So take, take a look. Take a look. I thought this actually was really good, so good, I decided to share it with you. That makes perfect sense. He's talking about those two sentences. That makes perfect sense. My wife and I were talking about this kind of thing this morning. We're getting a new puppy, and when we get her, she will not know the rules of the house like our other dog does. Our trust with her will be low at first. She will not have free roam in the house like the other dog does. When we leave the house, she will have to stay in her kennel until she can learn to behave herself, and she will get more freedom as our trust grows and our relationship matures. This is the way relationships work. The more you get to know someone, the more intimate it becomes, the less rules you need. The more freedom expands. And it's that principle, it's that that direction that Paul begins to walk when he instructs those Christians at Corinth about how to give and how to relate to money. It's on the side of the coin of maturity not rules, laws, and less trust and love. And so I want to take a look at how Paul does this. We need to understand how our relationships work to understand why Paul moves in the direction of maturity to talk about giving and money. So let's take a look. We're going to begin in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are our guide for these three weeks. Here's what he writes. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. This is the matter of giving money. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do also. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Those few verses, Paul is pulling on that thread of willingness. He's dealing with a heart issue. So when you have desire or when you're willing, that's what he wants to pull on. So the question then becomes, how do you instruct someone to give out of desire or willingness? If you're not going to lay down a rule or a strict law, then how do you get them to give or how do you even get them to understand the way they should give? That's what he begins to fill out in chapter 9. As he moves forward in this teaching on giving and what he wants them to do, he fills that out and he teaches them how to give from a place of willingness. That's where we want to go ourselves. Check this out. Chapter 9, 6 and 11, he says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Ah, now here Paul is moving to the heart of giving. He's not laying down a law here. Now Paul was a master theologian of the Old Testament. Paul, if anybody, could have thrown down a law on how to give. 
He could have pulled all those scriptures about tithing and laid them on top of those Corinthian Christians. In the Old Testament, Israel had been instructed over and over and over again to give 10%. We call that a tithe. And then there were offerings above the tithe. And that, was, that is woven into the Old Testament. He could have quoted, and we would have expected him to quote, if this was his direction, he would have quoted Malachi chapter 3. This is a famous passage of Scripture. This is one used over and over again when preachers preach on giving. But Paul doesn't quote it. Take a look at what he could have quoted. Malachi 3, 9 and 10, he's, this is the prophet, this is God speaking through the prophet to Israel. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Because bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Ah, Paul could have pulled this one out and laid it down in that letter to say, you have to tithe. If you don't, you are robbing God and under a curse. But Paul doesn't go that direction. Paul does not set up a rule or a law and then fit the Corinthians into the rule or law. He actually starts, he actually starts with our identity. He starts from the heart and then lets the generosity flow out of who they are. That's a very different way of doing this. One is, one is less mature. It has less freedom. It needs more structure. And so you say tithe, and then you just you push the person into the rule. The other says, here's who you are, and out of who you are grows generosity. This is the direction. This more mature direction is the way that Paul frames his teaching, this lesson in giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. What shouldn't surprise us is that back in 2 Corinthians 5, he's already laid out a case of who they are. I just want to take one verse, a verse you may know. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So he's writing to a group of people that he would consider new. They are fundamentally different than who they were. That is, they are now participating in an abundant kingdom, this kingdom of God that has full access to all the resources of God. And out of that abundance, living in that kingdom, you give out of that, and you can't outgive God in that kingdom. So isn't it something that when he begins to teach on giving, as he knows this group of people is becoming more and more like Jesus, that in the early part of his teaching here in 2 Corinthians 8, he's going to use Jesus as an example of radical generosity. I just want you to see what he does. Here's what Paul did there in the early part of this section. Chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians. I am not commanding you, ah, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, th that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a rule laid on top of him and then act. He was a particular kind of being, and out of that grew sacrificial love for us, on our behalf, not just for the Corinthians. And so Paul here gets them to this lesson to teach them that their giving comes out of who they are. It is an abundance that overflows. 
Now, what I want to do is I want to take that teaching, that just quick teaching of the Scripture here, that Paul is getting to them to a place of who they are, and I want to make some application with a, with a couple places here. So let me go with this first application. The question is not how much am I supposed to give back to God, but how much can I give away joyfully? Those are two different kind of questions. One says, I'm in a low-trust, low-love relationship, and just tell me what I need to do. The other says, I live in an abundant world where trust and love are high. How much can I give away? How much can I do? Those are two different questions. Now, how in the world would you answer the question, how much to give away? Well, I don't have an answer. I don't have a direct line to a rule for you. But I want to tip you off to something Paul wrote at the first section of this part of his letter, just to give you one example of what it might look like for one church to give away as much as they can. So let's just, I want to kind of go back into that passage for our application to see how one church did it. He writes this as he begins the section. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So what does it look like to to figure out how much to give and then give away as much as you can? Well, that's what these Macedonian Christians were doing. They were giving even beyond their ability. That's a lot more than 10%. I don't know what the percent is, but I know it's well beyond it. So let's take that into another piece of application. I think this gets it now, getting it, beginning to get it on the ground for us. God wants us to become like him in generosity. He wants us to give to the point where we have to trust him for things to be okay. We have to trust him for things to be okay. You know, there are some people have lots and lots of wealth. They're rich, or they're just real comfortable. And if they give 10%, they're doing just fine. They still have plenty of money to throw into savings and to trust their savings for their security. There is no problem having security or retirement. But it's another thing to begin to trust your retirement or your savings account for your security. You see, God wants to get us to a place where we give so much that we have to trust him that things will be okay. And that's going to press us. Now, I don't know what your number is for that, but I'll tell you what, some of you, 10% 10% is way too low. And for some of you, 10% is that's pretty high. That's going to press you right up to the edge to give 10% of your income. That's going to be a place where you're going to have to say, God, this doesn't make sense on paper, so you're going to have to make sure it's okay. And that's a great place for your faith to go. It's a really good place. So let's take this to a next step. Let's take this to a next step. Decide how much you can give. Then, give a little bit more. Then, trust God with the outcome. That's a good place to go. Decide how much you can give. Then, give a little bit more. And you pick how much that is. But just stretch into that territory where you have to trust God. Now, I'm going to ask the older youth. It's the ones I already talked to, which include my children. Um, If you can start passing out some cards. You have some cards. Will you start passing those out? We're going to pass some cards down these rows. These are commitment cards. We're going to put an image of that on the screen right here. 
These commitment cards uh, are a way of taking that next step into your reality. These are a way of committing to give a particular dollar amount or a percentage, and then letting us know then how much, like how often you would give. Here's what I want you to understand from me. These cards are not mandatory. I am not leveraging the Bible or my spiritual authority to guilt you into filling this card out. This card is a tool to help train you to take a next step with your giving. I'll tell you that part of our story as a family is that something like this card changed our family. It changed the spiritual landscape of our home. And so I, we're, gonna, we're going to use this card as a church family to help us take a next step in giving. So if you've never done anything like this, because you're one of those contrarians that said, I'm never filling something like this out, and it's none of their business. Well, if we're in a church family, it kind of is our business. Because we have family bills to pay. We are in this together. This is not a form of judgment, nor is this a form of compulsion. It is an opportunity, an invitation to take a next step where we have some accountability with one another. But what I want you to see on the card today, today, is that you are not required to just give 10%. We're not putting any amount on there that you need to hit. Because to stop you at 10% might, might diminish your faith. Because God has given you the ability to give 30-40% of your income. I, I don't know what it is. That's why we're not laying down a rule here. At the bottom of that card, you'll see that we would grow in the grace of giving. Grow in the grace of giving. You know why Paul never laid down that rule? To tithe. Because Paul had a vision that was well beyond tithing. So if you think tithing is the end game, for Paul it was the, it was the start line. Okay? Now, what I want to do now, if you're thinking, wow, that was a really short sermon, uh, is this isn't it. This isn't it. I got a little bit more left in the tank here. But I'm going to enlist some help. I want you to understand how this actually has looked in our life for me and Tess. So I'm going to have my better half come on up, and we're going to have a conversation in front of you. You can have the covered one. You want the there. Do you see that? Do you see that? Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. So we wanted to share some of our journey with giving. Um, let me set the stage and then um, Tess, you take over. Uh, we have not scripted this, so I gave Tess at least a sense of what we would be talking about, but we didn't script this. So I am under strict orders to not interrupt prematurely, though, and let her work this out. Um, we've done this before, and supposedly I interrupted a lot. I don't understand that. So uh, when we first got married over 17 years ago, we were, I was working as a part-time youth minister at a small church. Uh, we were giving over 10% of our income. We were giving a lot. And I remember one elder coming to us saying, I can't believe how much you're giving. Now, we were making very, very little money. We were both students, and I was making, I think, $10,000 a year. Very little money, but we were tithing on that. And we had 10% as kind of our, our target. And then as I went through my education, as kids came into play, we just stopped giving, really, or we'd give intermittently. 
And then I went on staff at a church in Indianapolis where part of being on staff required that I had to tithe. So that was part of my job description, that that I tithe, that I participate in the life of the family and gave 10% of my income. So that gets real awkward when you're on an executive team and you're asking the whole church to fill out a card at 10% and you don't do it. Uh, And so that begins our journey. That changed everything when we began to give. All right, pick it up. Oh, you need a mic. Oh, my heavens. I never thought I had it all together, y'all. There is a Bible verse about being haughty. All right. Lest you fall. All right. Um, I do want to say that um, when we decided to stop tithing, it wasn't like, it was, the mentality was, well, we need this money. Like, we have two kids. We have bills to pay. It was very logical. And then we're like, well, we'll tithe our time or uh, things that we have we won't ask for. So it wasn't just like, we're like, oh, yeah, okay, see you, God, we're not doing this anymore, or this is too much of a requirement. Like, there was, like, logic behind it. Like, we felt like we were standing pretty firm on that. And then um, he was at school in at UT working on his dissertation, and we were four years into it at that point. He had passed his, um, what's the test called again? Comprehensive exams. That. And he was working on his dissertation, and he was like, Tess, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And uh, I'm dying. We need to go do something else. I think it's time for me to go back into ministry. Okay, so we moved from Knoxville to Indiana. I I was really confident that I would get a job, but, um, yeah, that didn't happen for, like, a year and a half. And, um, And then during that time... Uh, he, we had this commitment card where we had to tithe, and we, he was like, man, I don't know if we can do this, but we have to, and like probably a month after that, uh, we figured out that all of his student loans came due, and his student loans that were due each month doubled our monthly income, and um, that was a huge like breaking point in our marriage, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, <laughs> But God was like, no, you're not. And, I mean, I I had a choice in all of this. But that is to say the time where we started to choose to tithe was the time that things were the darkest for us. And and God didn't really care about that. He cared more about our, our obedience through all of that. And so then we had to figure out how to tithe, pay student loans, and marriage counseling at the time. Um... And, uh, and, and so this was just like part of, part of our growth and all of that. Through all of this, having no money and no teaching job and in counseling and tithing, God placed it upon both of our hearts to have more kids. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, um, this doesn't make any sense. And um, I actually had an experience where I was, like, vehemently fighting God on this because I really didn't like Jason, and I wasn't really sure I wanted to stay married to him at the time, and I sure as heck didn't want to have any more kids with him. Um, And through all of that, Ava came. And uh, when Ava was born, Ava was in the NICU for two and a half weeks, And that whole time, they were like, we're not sure if she's going to make it, which I'm sure, I think you guys have heard part of that story, so I'm not going to go into that. But after she came back out, 
her hospital bill was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we were like, hmm, how are we going to pay for this? And it just kind of like kept leveling on top of each other. But we felt convicted that we're still going to tithe. And so then we drew up a budget. And neither one of our families are super great at handling money. So we didn't have really good examples to fall back on. And parents, if you're listening to this on the podcast, so sorry. We love you. Um, and uh, again, in that journey, we would draw out the budget. And every month, the budget would be in the black. And ironically, you mean the red. I mean in the red. And ironically, sometimes it would be like the exact amount mm. of our tithe. And then we would get to the end of the month, and all of the bills were paid. And um, we had a lot of credit card debt because when we were, when Jason was in school, he did not work. And I was a teacher's assistant making a little stipend, little stipend. Just want to be clear. Low, okay. low work, low work. I work. Um, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, but through that process of having Ava not having a full-time job, I, I did get one shortly before um, I got pregnant with Ava. But um, anyway, through that process, we were able to pay off about $20,000 of consumer debt on top of being able to pay our bills, even though mathematically it didn't really work out the way it was supposed to on paper. And it wasn't like money autom like magically appeared in our bank account or something. But um, I really sunk into some of the Old Testament passages when the Israelites were wandering through the desert. And the Bible talks about how um, their sandals didn't wear out. And I mean, not that we wore sandals all the time, but like we went through a long period of time where the boys didn't have to go to the doctors or they, um, people kind of were like, hey, I have hand-me-downs, would you like them? Yes, thank you. Uh, and so we were provided for in other ways that maybe uh, we didn't anticipate or we didn't expect. People took us out to lunch or um, food lasted longer than it should have. So we knew the pain of being able to tell ourselves no and, uh, and then just kind of submit that to God. And then through that process, we met a friend who is very business savvy. And um, God had laid it on my heart. I was like, I don't really know how to budget. Like, we write it down on paper every month. But then, like, I get an ulcer. And it takes me two weeks to recover from that. And then it's time to do the budget again. And really don't want to keep doing this. Um, and Jason, like, predominantly did all of the money at that point. I really didn't know what to do. And um, I was, and I told him, I was like, I think I should do this because I'm more detail-oriented. And he was like, yeah, you should. Yeah, because we were figuring out how I was more big picture. You were more details. And so, like, why don't we use our strengths to help our family rather than me just be an arrogant prick and think that I have to do everything? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I may not. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, Great. And it's on the podcast. Sorry, podcast people. We're just being honest, guys. We're just being honest. I feel like I should take my jacket off now and tuck my shirt. We're just going to go at it. I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, now my face is red. But listen, if you want to know how I talk sometimes about myself, God probably thinks worse sometimes about my own behavior. All right. So let's continue. I won't interrupt again. I don't think I need to talk anymore. Um, 
Okay. Woo! Okay. Okay, just being real. Just being real. Okay. Continue. Whatever was being said, that's where we need to go. Right now, I'm just thinking I'm really glad it wasn't me. That makes you feel better. Yeah. Okay. All right. There'll probably be a called board meeting next Sunday. Uh, okay. All right. So um, we're, you yeah. took over the money. So, like, he showed me how to do this, and I have, like, an intense love for Jane Austen, and so I'm sorry, all of all of my proud CPA friends, um, but I hate Google Excel, or I guess Excel's Microsoft, or the Google spreadsheets. So I use an old-fashioned ledger book, like from the 1700s. <laughs> um, and so, so what he taught me to do was like, okay, where are your expenses, how to line them up, and I guess this is kind of a boring process, you don't need to know how I budget, but when I started doing that and I started tracking these things, I'm like, oh, well, now I can afford to buy my children socks. This makes sense. And Because um, so, we were setting things aside every month. Yeah. Um, and so through that process, then we were able to become even more generous because I knew where things were. And so when um, we have really good friends who, um, well, were are uh, working for Pioneer Bible Translator in Tanzania, and when needs would come up with them, we were able to kind of gift to them, or when stuff came, um, when things happened at church with people that we knew, we were able to give to them, and this was above what we tithed. And I was just so surprised that um, that, that was even possible from where we were at financially. And, um, and it's just different. But I've also been convicted recently about how um, a lot of this is a generosity mentality. And the reason why people don't give is because they're scared if they give, they won't have enough for themselves. And I think that that's robbing God of that. Like, he, he comes to us as a benevolent father. Like, I'll give you everything that you need. But just like the Israelites who gathered too much manna, you know, they were instructed, take only what you need for that day. And some of them were like, uh, I don't know, it may not be here tomorrow. And so they would try and collect it, and then it would get all maggoty and gross. And I think that that's what happens to our spirits when we're like, oh, I need to try to collect some more for myself. And then what happens is our soul becomes maggoty and gross, and we're not able to give of ourselves, not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually in that connectedness with other people because we have a scarcity mentality of like, I got to hold on to what I have mm -hmm. rather than just be like, it was yours anyway, God. And, um, and yeah. so this, this summer we got, we were in an accident, um, our, and our van was totaled and we had to get a new van. Uh, and it was an old van and, and it had no car payments. And so it it rode really nicely. When you don't have a car payment, it rides smooth. And so we had to, you know, we got a, we had to get another car. We didn't get a new car, but we had to take out, we had to take out a loan. And but we put a, a down payment down, um, and we try anytime that happens to pay it off as soon as we can. But still, we're looking at our budget with this new car payment there, and we're like, huh, this this really stinks. And in the front of our ledger, so the first tab, they can't see the first tab, but like the first page is tithe. Like, that's our first thing that comes out is tithe, off the top. 
And we had this conversation just a couple months ago. Man, if we weren't given back to the church, we would be in the, we'd be in the positive a little bit. Man, that'd be really nice. But, but then it was, but no. Like, that's, like we've, got, we've taken this journey now for seven years. God will provide. We're not going to stop being generous because we think we have to hoard that, that money for ourselves. We will keep giving. And we give primarily, we give primarily back to the church. So like we give back to East 10th Street. But we don't think that that's like a law. We just know this is like, you guys are our family. So we're going to give primarily back to our family. We'll say more about that next week, about where to give uh, and why that's important. But that was really important just a few months ago when we're looking at it going, that darn tithe, <laughs> that, could go to, that could go to this. But we didn't stop, and we won't stop. Like, and we have each other to keep, to keep us accountable, but we're not going to stop. Like That front page of the ledger is not going away. Any other parting words before we end? No. Okay. All right, so let's just give her applause since she didn't make any mistakes. Like me. Thanks. So that's just one way it can look. That's just one way it can look. That's just our story. So I wanted to share with you our story. So everything I'm saying last week, this week, next week, it's not just out pie in the sky somewhere in this cloud of abstract ideas. It's like on the ground for us, um, and, and it's real, and it, and it has real implications for our family and the way we use money, but we believe this is the way God is calling all of his, his students to live. This is the way of Jesus, and that's the way we're going to live. We will live, and so I don't know what that does for you, but take that card and let it challenge you. Like, let it press you, and if you've never given 10% back, man, that'd be a great place to maybe start. And maybe you need some rules, like me, like my employment was on the line. And that's exactly what I needed, because at that point, that trust and the love, life in the kingdom, it was a bit more shriveled than it is now. And so now, we don't just give because of a rule, we give because that's who we are. And so I don't know where you need to be in all of this, but if that card's going to help you lay down a rule to get you to a, a more mature relationship with Jesus, then let it take you there. But it will take you there if you'll let it. Well, let me pray for us as we, as we end here. Father, thank you for our time together. Thanks for what you did in my life and our marriage and, and Tessa's mind and her heart over these many years. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you're doing something through your word and through just a small testimony of what you already did in our life, that you would just move everyone in this room to just go a little bit further, just go a little bit further and to lean on the resources of your kingdom, and to grow in love and trust with you. That would be what you would expect from good students. And so we just pray you help us with that. Forgive us where we have fallen and where we have a scarcity mindset, but we know you're gracious with us, and you are overflowing with mercy, so we thank you for that. We pray that you take us to a good place in generosity, and we pray it under the name of your son Jesus, who gave, who became poor so we would be rich. And together we say, Amen.